This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. WBBM News Time, 12.03. Great to have you with us for the Wednesday edition of the Noon Business Hour. I'm Cisco Cotto. The Noon Business Hour is presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. In our next segment, we'll talk about kids and credit cards. At what age should you make sure they have one to start building credit? Right now, President Biden set to detail his spending plans tonight. Also, as Elisa mentioned, we'll be hearing from the Fed coming up in about an hour. Diane Swank is here, Chief Economist at Grant Thornton here in in Chicago. Diane, let's begin with the Fed. What do you think they're going to do about interest rates? Well, they're not going to do much of anything, and they'd rather be on the sidelines as the economy comes to a booming point. They want to see the recovery in employment, most importantly, be rapid. And although we're going to hit a previous peak in GDP growth in the second quarter of 2021, that's the peak we hit in the fourth quarter of 2019, so we lost a year and a half to the pandemic, it's still at least a year out before we hit the previous peak in employment and what could have been in employment due to the pandemic. And that's something the Fed is quite focused on. So they're going to, they like the one-two punch of fiscal and monetary policy at the moment. And that the tailwind that that is creating along with vaccinations and unleashing the pent-up demand that we've created, but they really want to see a a big improvement in employment. And they're going to look through some flares in inflation, which could make some people get a little worried about what kind of fire is simmering out there but the Fed is willing to be patient until we really get to the other side of this in terms of employment. Is there some sort of a threshold where inflation does become more of a concern, you know, not maybe right now as we just try to get things rolling again? What the Fed is really looking for, and they say they're outcome-based, they want to see us recover the jobs we've lost and get back down to the kinds of unemployment that really see low-wage wages start to accelerate again. Not just the signing bonuses we see as people are sort of having some reluctance returning back to workplaces that are still dangerous. We've got a lag in vaccinations. They're finally more easy to get. And so, you know, people feeling safe to return to their jobs is an important aspect. But they really want to see it get to the point where sort of three and a half percent unemployment rates again with more people actually out on the dance floor and dancing and listening to the music, participating in this labor market. We lost so many people, particularly women that were parents, um, low-wage women and people of color that were parents that were unable to participate in the labor market. They want to see those things first. And they're willing to look through these pick up in inflation, some of them from the fact, remember, we had oil prices that went negative in April of last year because producers had to pay people to store it because nobody wanted it for a period in time. And so some of it they see as transitory due to those base effects. They've got bottlenecks. We've got some bubbles out there. They're willing to look through that and wait till we really see some major improvement in employment and wages accelerating for low-wage workers. So tonight the president's going to be speaking to a joint session of Congress, $1.8 trillion 
dollars, a plan that is uh, the president saying aimed toward children and families. What do we expect from this? Well, I think we're going to see, you know, this is this is really the trying to lay out the big plans of the administration. We do have to start thinking about, and I think the debate should be rich in terms of how do we pay for these things? How do we think about paying for these things and put it into context? And that's important. Infrastructure is also very important. I think it's important for um, to delineate between what we think of as traditional infrastructure and what we think of as sort of the things needed to um, intervene before worse outcomes for children and families um, down the road. That is a form of infrastructure, but I think it's important to delineate those things and have a more robust debate. But um, clearly, you're going to see some big plans for, I mean, the the numbers that the um, administration is talking about are quite large. And at some point in time, right now, we've gotten a bit of a waiver. And if you'd ever told me we'd have these kind of deficits with these kind of low interest rates, I would have said you're nuts. So I am humbled and eating the humble pie. But at some point in time, I do think we need to be able to pay for these things as well. And that's going to be the much harder part of this debate. Thanks so much, Diane Swank, chief economist at Grant Thornton here in Chicago. Just ahead, teaching kids how to properly handle a credit card. At what age should you give them one? It's Personal Finance Wednesday here on the Noon Business Hour. Getting your child a credit card? Well, it could be an important money lesson when done properly. Let's get some help from Matt Schultz, chief credit analyst at LendingTree based in Austin. Uh, Matt, first off, help us to understand at what age we should be giving kids credit cards. I mean, I I have an 8-year-old, a 10-year-old, an 11-year-old. I'm sure they would love credit cards right about now. Yeah, it's probably a little bit early for those guys. But the funny thing is, that for a lot of card issuers, there is no minimum age to make someone an authorized user, thus giving them spending access to the card. But the truth is that someone that young doesn't necessarily need a card. If you get them a card when they're 15, 16, 17, I think that's a good jump start, but certainly by the time they're 18, 19 going into college. So is it teaching them how to use it, how to be responsible? Uh, I'm sure that's part of it. I mean, maybe also beginning to build their credit. I mean, what's the benefit here? The benefit is giving them a jump start to their credit uh, primarily because when you make someone an authorized user, you give them the ability to spend on a card, but you also transfer the good credit history that you have on that card to them. So it's a really good jump start, but it's all about knowing your kid, trusting them. And a lot of people, when they do make that kid an authorized user, never give the kid the card. When it comes to uh, benefits from that young age, I'm, I'm wondering if there's a chance that there's just sort of a lifetime of good spending habits here that can possibly be built as opposed to them getting a credit card on their own when they're older? Oh, no question. Yeah. I mean, the the truth is that the earlier you start talking with your kid about money, whether you give them a card or not, the more likely they are to build those habits. And it's also important that we as parents model good behavior for them. And that really matters, too. When it comes to the uh, the credit limit, I assume you probably want to keep that pretty low. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I tend to recommend a secured credit card where you put a little security deposit um, that's $200, $250. 
and it, it gives them the card in their own name once they're 18 or 19. Uh, but it also sets that limit pretty low, so there's only so much damage they can do. Because there's no way that we go, uh, hey, I, I know uh, I know it was my credit card, but it was my kid, so I don't have to pay for it. Yeah, yeah, no. The, the most important thing for people to understand when they make someone an authorized user on their card is that the primary account holder holds all the liability nobody's going to go searching for your kid if they run up a bunch of spending on your card. Ultimately, you are legally liable for that. Yeah, we talk about uh, things like a, a credit history and and spending money wisely and that sort of thing. I'm wondering if it's also good for kids early on in the teen years to learn about identity theft and protecting yourself and, and those things that go along with being a credit card user. Oh, there's, there's no question about that, especially as technologically focused as kids are and as many passwords as they probably have already for logging into things. Um, it's, it's a very important thing, but it's something that they may not have connected the financial aspect of things to yet. So it's definitely worth talking about. Thanks so much. Really good info. Matt Schultz, Chief Credit Analyst at LendingTree. Just ahead, beware, the Noid is making a comeback. Compounding your interest with an economy of words, this is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The parent company of Taco Bell, KFC, Pizza Hut reporting a strong quarter, while Domino's is making a marketing move featuring a retro character. Joining us on the McGrath Lexus business line, R.J. Hadavi, an analyst at Aaron Allen Capital Partners. R.J., good to have you with us. Uh, let's begin with Yum Brands. What are they reporting here? Yeah, they, they, as you pointed out, the company put up some really impressive first quarter results. Uh, this is the quarter that we're starting to lap last year where the uh, the COVID restrictions were put in place for most restaurant operators. So not a surprise to see, uh, you know, sales growth, uh, you know, high single digits, low double, high single digits to low double digits for most of their concepts. But I think the takeaway here is that companies like uh, Yum Brands and across it's all three brands, which have really made it uh, much easier to order digitally, uh, much easier to get your products uh, through delivery and also uh, made some improvements in the drive-through. I think that's really the common message here. So those companies that have really invested in technology are going to come out of the pandemic in a much stronger position um, and, and you know, potentially in a good position to capture market share from a lot of the restaurants that have exited the market. In the end, is that, uh, I, I guess, maybe the pandemic allowed a lot of these restaurants to just fast forward something they were planning on doing anyway as far as more mobile-based and drive-through based? I think that's a great way to look at it. Um, I, I think that the pandemic really accelerated a lot of the trends that were already taking place and really reflective of a lot of the trends we've seen across the broader retail sector over the last decade with online commerce. Uh, but I do think that we saw you know, online ordering and uh, to delivery uh, you know, really accelerate probably by a multitude of years over the last uh, you know, several months. And I think that those brands that have really embraced it and made it, uh, you know, worked with uh, you know, the different brands to make it easier for consumers to get their products, uh, I think those are going to stand out and really be the winners coming out of the pandemic. Let's talk about Starbucks. They've reported as well, uh, saying that they've made a comeback and things are pretty good for the future. 
Yeah, and it's a similar situation with Starbucks where they, they really invested in the mobile app. And with them, too, I think what's important is that uh, they were already making a shift away from just being a more of an experiential place. I mean, the Starbucks brand, that uh, how they built the brand was being that, that third place away from home and office where people could go to congregate. And I still think that's an important part of the story, but they're really embracing the idea of smaller format stores, pickup-only, mobile-only type stores. And so they're another one like Yum! Brands and McDonald's and Domino's that are really, uh, I think, ahead of the curve in terms of technology adoption. Um, yeah, they're going to be formidable competitors coming out of this. Let's talk about Domino's uh, briefly here. They, they're going retro with a new character. Well, not new. They're bringing back an old character. Yeah, they are bringing back the, the Noid. Uh, several of us remember the uh, the Noid character from the 1980s, uh, effectively trying to make sure that you know, Domino's pizza is more uh, freshly delivered. And I think it's an interesting uh, angle for this company uh, on two fronts. One is it plays off nostalgia. Uh, yeah, and then we've seen a lot of successful marketing campaigns do that. But I think importantly, the uh, the angle they're taking with this approach is that uh, you know the, the, they're going to have the character try to thwart some of their new technologies like autonomous driving. And I think this is a really interesting way to kind of bring some of the technologies. And, and you know what we've talked about with Yum and Starbucks. I mean, Domino's has definitely been one of the leaders in that category. Um, you know, autonomous delivery, uh, order tracking, things like that. And you know, by by focusing on that, I think that people are going to realize that um, you know Domino's technologies are, are well ahead of the curve and. And, uh, you know, it could be the way of the future for the restaurant industry. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that plays. Retro certainly seems to be in right now. Thank you. That's R.J. Hadavi, an analyst at Aaron Allen Capital Partners. Still ahead, the second dose of Personal Finance Wednesday, planning properly so the next generation doesn't inherit your money problems. This is Chicago's all-news station, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. 12.30. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Cisco Cotto. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Newly released video shows a Chicago police officer shooting and killing a man in the Portage Park neighborhood. Former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani appears to be the target of a federal probe. Personal finance, making sure you don't leave a money mess for the next generation. And there could be fuel shortages at some gas stations this summer because of of a lack of tanker truck drivers. WBBM Business, the Dow down 116. The NASDAQ is down 12, and the S&P is up two points. Oil up right about 2%. 47 degrees in Chicagoland, a lot of clouds, and a little bit of drizzle as well. Video released this morning shows the killing of a 22-year-old man by Chicago police during a foot chase on the northwest side. The incident happened in the early hours of March 31st on the 5200 block of West Eddy Street. In the footage, the officer yells, drop the gun, twice before firing five shots at Anthony Alvarez. A gun can be seen in Alvarez's hand in the body cam footage. Just moments ago, Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown told reporters he's not going to have much more to say about the video while the shooting is under investigation. I'm the final decider on Copa's investigation of reforming the mayor is not. So I have to stay uh, non-opinionated on facts until I get that complete investigation. It's really important for, for the independence. I think the transparency to the public, you, you wouldn't want the, the police department swaying evidence before it's completed.
its investigation. Prior to the release, Mayor Lightfoot and lawyers for the Alvarez family issued a joint statement asking for a peaceful response once the video went public. Federal agents have reportedly executed a search warrant at the Manhattan residence of Rudy Giuliani, the former New York City mayor is believed to have been under investigation for several years over his business dealings in Ukraine. Details of the reason for the warrant have not yet been released. No comment from Giuliani or his lawyer. A reminder, Odyssey is your new home for all the audio that matters to you. Download the Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, to listen to WBBM anytime. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. A podcast of the Noon Business Hour, always available at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. The Noon Business Hour is presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. Markets are mixed. The Dow down 117. NASDAQ is down 10. The S&P just barely positive. It is up three points. Let's see what's going on here. Mike Larson is joining us, senior analyst at WeissRatings.com. Mike, thanks for being on the show. What do you make of what you see on Wall Street today? Sure. We're in a little bit of a uh, mixed situation because everybody's waiting to see what the Federal Reserve has to say when their announcement comes out on interest rates. Um, clearly, they're going to hike interest rates. They're probably not going to say anything about dialing back QE. But invest- investors and analysts kind of want to get a sense for the tone that, that Powell comes out with in his press conference, how bullish he is on the economy, whether there's even the slightest hint of uh, dialing back QE and so on. So I think that'll be a big driver later in the day. As far as you know, coming into the, the session, we've had a mixed bag of earnings. You have some of the major tech companies like uh, Google Parents Alphabet that did very well, uh, strong second quarter profit, your buyback, and so on. So that stock was up nicely. Uh, and then you have a company like Microsoft. Again, it, it's been on a tear for many, many months. Uh, but their, their sales expectations, um, their profit, their profit results—they were okay, but not, I guess, strong enough to really uh, satiate investors who have really been bidding the stock up. So. A little bit of a pause here as people await the Fed, and if they try and see if a lot of the good news uh, has already been priced in, especially in the big tech space. Yeah, let's talk about big tech and Microsoft specifically. Uh, what do you make of what you're seeing there? You know, again, when you look at any of these big names, these big enterprise-type tech companies, I mean, Microsoft's a prime example, the stock's been very strong. It's done very well. Uh, a lot of the big cap-type um, names in general have done well. But again, that's priced in a lot of hope for strong numbers. And then when you get even a little bit of a disappointment, uh, some current concerns about maybe there were a few one-off benefits built into the numbers, then you get this this pullback. But I don't think you're seeing anything anything that's like a fatal flaw for the stock. Uh, and, and again, I would be you know I would be buying on pullbacks if you continue to see that action. And in general, uh, big tech, it, it's sort of this interesting investing situation because it seems like big tech is poised for growth, and yet there may still be some challenges. Well, you know, the interesting thing that I've seen for the last several months is that even as big tech has done well on the whole, many other sectors of the economy and the markets have actually been, you know, even hitting above their weight. You're seeing some money rotate out of the the sort of big tech only market like we had more than a year ago. Uh, And we're seeing that that sort of strength spread out into sectors uh, that, you know, industrials, basic materials, some of these, uh, these types of sectors that do better when the economy is growing very strongly and when a bunch of federal stimulus money has been thrown at the economy. So as, as much as I don't think there's any real fatal flaws showing up in these tech numbers, it does behoove you to look to diversify your portfolio more because the growthier type, uh, you know, economically sensitive cyclical type sectors are the ones that are doing well now. And as long as the, the Biden administration is throwing so much stimulus at the, at the economy, are likely to continue to do so going forward. Let's talk about Boeing continued losses, but they do see things turning around. Sure. I mean, if you talk about Boeing as an aircraft supplier or you look at the airlines or you look at the cruise lines, 
they've all, you know, they've all been generally improving from terrible uh, levels that were, were clear, clear and obviously a side effect of the COVID outbreak. So I think that that are going to look past disappointing near-term results if they believe that the vaccination process is still on track, if they believe that the reopening trade is going to continue to be with us. And I think that's actually a fair assumption. So people can look at the numbers, say, okay, they're lousy now, but 6, 12, 18 months down the road, they're probably going to be better. Thanks so much for joining us. That is Mike Larson, senior analyst at WeissRatings.com. Just ahead, the second dose of Personal Finance Wednesday, making sure you don't leave a financial mess for your children to clean up. Also, later on in the show, 1249, there are predictions that there may be big gasoline shortages this summer. Money Talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Personal Finance Wednesday on the Noon Business Hour. In this segment, we're looking at ways to avoid leaving behind a financial nightmare for your family to deal with. Joining us on the McGrath Lexus Business Line, Ed Jertsen, certified financial planner, founder of Engage Wealth Group, found at EngageWealthGroup.com. Uh, Ed, so we're talking about people, uh, really, I mean, not just senior citizens, right? Everyone needs some kind of an estate plan? Yeah, this is such an important topic, Cisco, because if last year taught us anything is that life is precious and quite unpredictable and not having your financial house in order can create huge challenges for your heirs. So let's talk about, I mean, if there's a first step that people need to do in order to make sure that they don't leave their family with some kind of burdens, what would you say the most important one is? Well, the first one is your estate plan. It's getting those fundamental documents, getting a will in place or a trust in place, because we spend a lot of time with our clients talking through a variety of scenarios and making sure that your estate plan is aligned with, let's say, the titles on your bank accounts or the beneficiaries on your insurance and your retirement accounts is so critically important. And having that thorough review just goes a long, long way in ensuring that there's stability in that plan. And what about along with that, I mean, some sort of a document that has just all of the financial information in a central place, you know, all of the bank accounts, retirement accounts, investments, you know, maybe even login information. I don't know. It's great. It's, it's great guidance. We create personal financial balance sheets for clients that have all that information. And, and what I generally call it is in case of emergency break glass, especially for clients who, let's say, are widows or widowers where, you know, someone needs to know where this information is. And then being as detailed as possible can create, again, tremendous amount of efficiency where people haven't are trying to guess or wait actually for years for tax documents to come where then you uncover different accounts in different places. So uh, that's the financial aspect of it. Uh, what about people's stuff? Because there's a lot of people who, you know, they have things they've been collecting over the years. They love them. They think their kids are going to love them, but the kids may not want them. You know what? When you talk about generations, what might be sentimental value to you may not be as so sentimental to your heirs. And if you look at, you know, the, the younger generations, they're, they're not accumulating China sets in, in all of the different things or silver or all the different accoutrements that come with it. So make sure have those conversations with your kids. You know, what do you want? And from a sentimentality standpoint, this is where we find most of the issues occur. It's not over dollars or, or bank accounts. It's this was such and such items or this was some other relatives items. And if you are going to pass those down, one of the things we would we would have people consider is having that list. Most estate planning attorneys will say, hey, itemize a list of where these things 
things go. And then add a personal note of why you're conveying that to that person. And again, that that creates such great long-lasting memories. Yeah, I like that. And the personal note may let the person receiving it know, I, you know I'm not just giving this to you because I had to give it to somebody. There's a reason for this. Absolutely. And so to get sort of organized, you can box things up on things that you're not using every day. You can kind of box things up, put an heirs, you know, name on that box. Here's a sentimental box of things. And again, with that note, again, like you said, I'm just not giving it to you because I have to, but this is of sentimental value to you. But again, if you don't have this prepared, if you don't get this organized, you can only imagine some of the angst and the challenges and the debates and fights that go on with heirs if you don't get yourself organized. How do you figure out what to do with property. If it's an account, that seems pretty easy. Okay, this account is given over to this person. If it is some sort of material possession, you just say this gets handed over to this person, but property seems a little more complicated. It is, it is complicated, but again, the property, let's say it's uh, your current residence or not a state residence or a cabin or, or some sort of family uh, place where they gather, by making sure that it's titled properly is really important. Like in the, in the case of, let's say, out-of-state property in a trust, the trust will tell the heirs what to do. And typically what will happen is that that property will e- either be kept or potentially sold, and that obviously takes a lot more time than that of a sort of like, let's say, liquidating a bank account. But again, it's critically important to make sure that the titles on those properties are aligned with your estate plan. Thanks so much for all of the advice. Ed Jertson, Certified Financial Planner. You can find him online at EngageWealthGroup.com. That's Personal Finance Wednesday. This time tomorrow, Technology Thursday. Still to come, the possibility of a gasoline shortage this summer. It's all because of delivery issues. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. There's a chance some gas stations could run out of fuel this summer. Let's find out why. Phil Flynn, Senior Market Analyst at Price Group. Phil, I just mentioned uh, oil back in the $64 range. Is that why? Is it oil prices? No, I, I don't think that's the only reason. The real reason is what we're hearing is a lack of qualified drivers to get the gas. You know, it's the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. <laughs> you can't make people drive tankers to the gas station. Uh, the problem is a labor shortage right now. Uh, for the very specialized uh, type of driver that it takes to move gasoline to bring it, you know, from the refinery to your gas station and to these points. And, and, and because they can't find enough drivers, we've already seen parts of the country where they've had shortages, places out west near Las Vegas, uh, because they can't do the transportation, they can't get it to the gas station, the gas stations run out and we're out of luck. So why is this going on? I mean, pre-pandemic, we weren't talking about shortages because you didn't have drivers to bring the gas to the station. It's a, it's a combination of factors. A lot of it is competition, right? You know, you have this big surge in demand for truck drivers, you know, because of the Amazon effect, right? We're seeing more and more trucks on the road. So more people are, are going to there. And even though those wages don't pay as high as some of the other uh, uh, um moving of a gasoline, there's a lot less certification. So it's a lot less pressure on that. You know, the other thing is, is that, you know, that the, a lot of people are not going to work, you know, coming back to work. You know, a lot of people were laid off because of the COVID-19 situation when demand dropped. And to try to get these people to come back out of retirement is harder and harder because it takes a lot of work, you know, to get certified to get back in those gasoline tankers. And a lot of people are just putting it off because, you know, the checks are still coming in. 
So there's, and it's even if you need more drivers, it's not like you can just say, hey, do you have a CDL? Come here, deliver gas. It's just more complicated than that. It really is. And and I think this is a situation we're going to see more and more. But at the end of the day, this is going to have a trickle down effect on your gasoline prices. You know, we're already seeing, you know, the price of oil get back up to 65. We're seeing gasoline demand start to go back up. And now if we're going to have to tack on transportation costs, because, you know, you're going to have to pay these drivers more and more money. That means when we pull up the, the pump, if you're lucky enough to get gas, you're going to be paying a real premium price for it. Well, thanks so much. We'll certainly see how it goes this summer. That is Phil Flynn, Senior Market Analyst at Price Group. If you missed any part of today's Noon Business Hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.